All right, guys, we are going to uh, jump into God's Word in Mark chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Mark 4. Um, if you've got a device, slide on over uh, to Mark. Um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to transition us into this. We've already been worshiping, but now we're going to start worshiping uh, through the, the speaking and the hearing of God's Word. Okay? So let me pray, and we'll, we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, again, I just want to thank you for Birdie. I want to thank you for the Trost family, um, the blessing that they've been to me over the years, uh, just being able to walk alongside of them as, as a brother in Christ uh, and, and to, to be able to teach and to just to be able to be a, a part of their family in this way is just so cool. But then to be able to, to dedicate Birdie, that's just a blessing to my heart. So, Father, uh, we do lift her up to you. Uh, now, in, as we transition uh, to the teaching of your word, God, we pray that you would bless it. Uh, Father, I'm available to be used by you. However you want to use my mouth, would you use it? And as a body of believers here and people who are on a journey towards you, um, Father, we want to open up our ears and hear what you have for us. Let that be our posture of worship before you this morning. And what we hear and you prick our hearts with, let us apply it, I pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. All right, so we are in Mark chapter 4. We're in the back end of Mark chapter 4. Um, when I was uh, growing up as, uh, as a young Christian, uh, I came to Christ when I was 18, um, uh, just kind of came to Christ. I heard this phrase, and you've probably heard it too, um, that God won't give you more than you can handle. Anybody heard that phrase? That God won't give you more than you can handle. And I thought, well, that's good, all right? I thought that, that's a really good thing. But then as I went along in my journey of faith, um, there, were some, there were certainly some things that definitely came in that felt a little bit too heavy for me to carry. That felt a little bit overwhelming for, for me. And I thought, huh, if God won't give me more than I can handle, where's the line on, on this thing? Because I sure don't feel like I'm built to carry the stuff that I'm carrying right now. The reality in our faith that there are some real things that pop up in, in our life. There are the things that come in that threaten to shipwreck and to put us along the shoreline. There are some things that we would say without reservation when, uh, when all the bravado stops, guys, when, when all the bravado stops, young ladies and, and, and women, when we stop the, the kind of beating our chest and saying, I can handle everything all on my own, I don't need anybody else to come up, when all that stops without reservation, we can say that there are things that we encounter in our life that just seem way too heavy for us to handle, that we weren't made and we weren't built to carry uh, this kind of a thing. I want to tell you a, a quick story that I think is relevant here. Um, years ago, when I was an uh, associate pastor in, in New York, I, our senior pastor there was a phenomenal guy, uh, but he was a Navy guy, okay? I'm an Army guy, uh, but he was a Navy guy, and, and so we were kind of uh, worked together a little bit. But before he joined the Navy, um, or before he became a pastor, he was this naval officer, and he was the officer and the captain of destroyer ships out in the middle of the open ocean, which I thought, well, that's pretty cool right there. Okay, that, that's one of those things like, I'm a, I'm a captain of a destroyer boat, and like, okay, you kind of trump most conversations when, when that's the case. But I was in the Army, and so we'd have this banter back and forth, go Army, beat Navy, go Navy, beat Army, and just like it was, it was a good working relationship. Um, but then he started sending me these videos of destroyers and carriers out in the open ocean, like to kind of trump me and my army experience. And he would send them to my inbox, and I'm seeing like, okay, these are pretty cool. Um, these, 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 are, these are pretty legit. Um, I, this isn't an exact video that he showed me, but it's something like this. I think this is a French destroyer. So imagine sitting in your office, and your boss is sending you these videos, and you're like, what, what is she going to say, right? Like, this, this is amazing. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, I would throw up if I was on that boat. Um, you'd be rocked about uh, quite a bit, but I thought, well, that, that's pretty cool. And here's the deal. Um, those ships, 
like that and others uh, for, in that same category, they're built for those kinds of storms. There, there's uh, a lot of highly educated men, women, who put uh, a lot of hours and weeks and months and years of engineering and designing to put together a ship that looks something like that. And they had one thing in mind. Let, let, let's build a ship so that thing doesn't go down in the storm. Like that, that's the goal in mind. And so the storms out in the open ocean, when that, when that boat encounters that storm, there's no fear uh, of those who are in it, I mean, uh, you might be throwing up and getting a little bit, you know, thrown about, but there's no fear that the thing's going down because the boat was built for that storm in mind. Now, imagine being out there in a destroyer. You can handle some of that stuff because you know that the boat is built for that. Now, take that boat away. Put yourself in a little rowboat like this. Now, imagine being out in an open ocean with those kind of waves rowing around in something like that. A destroyer is built for those waves. A rowboat is not built for something like that. Destroyers are built for storms. Rowboats are not built for storms. The kind of the boat that you're in when the storms hit, it makes a difference. And I would say even more so than that, what matters even more is who's in the boat with you and who's the captain at the helm. Who's steering that thing? We're in Mark chapter 4, and we're in our tethered series um, and I, I want to, it's been a little while since we talked about the, the immediate context uh, of Mark chapter 4. And so I want to just give us a reminder of what the context is here. Mark, he's writing a letter um, to the men and women, the, the Christians who are part of the church now who are in Rome. And Rome at the time, it's become very hostile to Christianity, very hostile to Christians. Jesus now, he's gone, he's ascended into heaven. Rome is crumbling the, the leadership in the city is in flux. Christians are being killed in private, and they're being killed out in the open. Um, it's kind of open sport on Christians at the time. They're being killed out in the streets. And these are nothing less than fierce storms that are showing up in the lives of these believers and wondering, is this ever going to end? We didn't expect this. Like, we expected maybe some trial, but we didn't expect what we're going through right now. And the obvious question for the church and the Christians in Rome is, what are we going to do? Like, I mean, really, this is our reality. What are we going to do now? Waves keep coming in one after another, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. It feels like any moment that our boat could go and topple over. Any moment the thing could be upended. But Mark He's going to remind them that if your faith is in Jesus, not your faith in the boat, not your faith in what, but if your faith is in Jesus, um, you have not only a faith, but you have a God who was built for this. If, you're, if you know Jesus, you have a faith in a God that was built for the storm that you're in right now. And so what Mark is going to do is he's going to say, let me tell you a story about a time when Jesus and the disciples were out on a lake. And they were hanging out together, and we learned something about the disciples here. We learned a lot about Jesus, but we learned a lot about the disciples, too. They were learning how to trust Jesus, and they had some of the same fears that you in Rome are having. And it may be even some of the same fears that you're having as you're sitting here right now. Mark's going to say, you're not alone. You're not the only one dealing with this. And sometimes it's really nice to know that you're not the only one who's struggling, that, that there were other people who were in the same kind of boat, in the same category that you're in. I want to say something that uh, I, I think might be helpful. Hopefully it's helpful for maybe a few different people in here. The, the life of a Christian, or, or we say the life of a follower of Jesus, is all about learning to trust Jesus. Okay? 
Learning to trust Jesus. We, we come to Jesus for salvation. He's the only one who can save. We know that. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way, and there's anybody who says that there's another way. They're mistaken on what the truth and the reality is. Jesus says, I am the one and only way to God the Father. I am where life is. I am where hope is. I am where real, true future is. I am the way. And so we come to God through Jesus. And there's forgiveness of sin there, right? We come to him. He forgives us of sin. We're welcomed into the family. And at that moment, he puts the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to help us navigate the journey that he has us on, to help us navigate and to live step by step with him. And so as Christians, there's this growing idea or this growing and maturing process that comes after we trust in Jesus, where we learn now how do we live as disciples of Jesus, how do, how do we learn how to follow him? Learning to trust Jesus with everything, where we come to him and say, you know what, I'm open-handed. My life is a blank check. My hands are open. There's nothing that I'm holding back from you. You can have it all. Lead me. And there's a growing process in that. And so if you've trusted Jesus, this is the journey that you're on. This, this, is, this is where you're walking right now. And all of us who are in Christ we're learning how to trust Jesus every single day of our life in everything. We're learning how to trust in the small things, but we're also learning how to trust in these, these deep sea waters, these storms that, that come in, these things that we would consider hard and, and where we would say, man, I don't know if I'm, if I'm built uh, for this kind of stuff. And we're all maybe in different places in the journey right now. And here's the deal. And this is something that I've been processing throughout this week as I've been studying this passage. Um, Trust, it's interesting, right? We, we hear the word trust and we're like, okay, we, we've got that down. But it's an interesting thing. Faith, we know, it's a gift of God. Faith is, it's a gift of God. He gifts us with the faith even to trust Jesus. That's not a work that we do. That's not something that we just muster up. The faith that we have to even place in Jesus, it's a gift that God has given to us. And, and so ongoing trust then is our faith in action. We learn to trust over time. We learn to trust along the journey. Um, if you write things down, I want you to go ahead and write this down. Um, trust is a condition. Go ahead and throw that up, guys. Uh, trust is a condition of a heart that has increasingly found confidence in the character of somebody else. Now, typically, we trust people in our lives because they've demonstrated a track record of of, of uh, trustworthiness, or they have the character that we can trust. And so, if we're wise, we don't keep trusting people that keep letting us down. We don't keep trusting people that keep hurting us in, in different ways. They're, because their character, it can't hold our trust, right? It just kind of seeps through. Now, we see something interesting show up in the back end of, of chapter 4 here. What happens when the person that you're learning to trust now, what, what, what happens when the person that you're, you're learning to trust begins to, to let you down? Or what happens when the person that you're learning to trust lets you go through things that you would rather not go through? And we're talking about real stuff. We're talking about things that, that, that we carry in our life right now that bring up questions like, God, why would you let me go through this? Why would you let them go through this? Why would, like the things that I'm seeing, like, why, like if you are sovereign and if you are in control and you create all things and you can change all things, you control the heart of man, you control leaders and, and you can raise up leaders and you can lower leaders. If you're in control of all of this, why on earth would you allow some of this stuff to happen? Can faith and struggle fit inside of the same boat? Is there, is there enough room for, for both of them um, there? 
So let's look at the back end of chapter 4 in verse 35. You guys with me? Okay. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with, they, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, When or who then is, is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, let me lay out a couple of things here. Jesus, he's been doing uh, nonstop ministry at this point. He's been going from sunup to sundown. People are always everywhere wanting something from him. They're, 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 and Jesus is, is awesome, right? He, we, we know that he's, he's a wonderful fellow. He's been healing. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching. Uh, he's been busy nonstop without having any downtime whatsoever. And so Jesus now in this scenario, he says, okay, let's go. Like it's getting late. It's time to call it quits for the night. Guys, load up the boat and get to the other side of the lake. And if you've got kids and you have a family, this is the equivalent of saying, all right, kids, go gather up your stuff, get your shoes on, pick up your mess. It's time to get things into the car and go home, right? This is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. And so for you and me, we hear that and there's no problem. We get into the car, we hit the GPS, we put the car in drive, and we head around the lake to the other side. But for the disciples, this wasn't an easy, it wasn't as easy uh, as that. Um, for reference now, the Sea of Galilee, it's not huge. Um, it, it's uh, not a huge lake, but when you've got to row a boat, um, it feels incredibly huge. Uh, it takes some time. So the sea, just for our reference, is about 13 miles long, and it's about 8 miles uh, wide. And so when Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side, we're talking about from Capernaum where he is up north. That is way too small for you guys to read. Um, but up north, we're talking about if he's getting over to the other side, we're, we're probably about a five to eight mile kind of a journey um, that he's asking them to begin to get into the boat and, and make. Okay, So it's a five to eight mile journey at night away from the shoreline, and you can't see the land anywhere. And so for you guys who are like, well, I'll just reach back and kick on the motor and we'd be there in no time. Right? He's not working with a Johnson motor. He's not working with an Evinrude. That, that's not what he's got, okay? This, this, this is not just like some kind of horsepower thing. This is manpower. They are going to be row, row, row on their boat all the way to the other side, okay? That's how it's going to work for these disciples. Maybe if they're lucky, they've got a sail that they can catch a little bit of wind to get to the other side. Back in 2006, um, I was at the Sea of Galilee, and there, uh, I think it was in the, in the 80s at some point, they... Um, there, there was like a severe drought, and the sea uh, dropped quite significantly. And along the shoreline, they found an old Galilean boat. we got a picture of it here, um, there on the left. And, and so it was almost like kind of perfectly restored on, on the bottom hull of the boat. And if you, if you go there now, it, it's still there. You can see it just, just as it sits there. Um, but they were able to, with that boat and, and others that they had found in, in like form, um, begin to, to kind of piece together what a Galilean boat would have looked like during the first century. And so that picture on the right is, is about what they suspect a Galilean boat would have looked like that Jesus would have been on in a storm that was getting ready to brew, um, just like uh, Mark's going to tell us about. And as you can tell, we're not talking about a battleship here, right? 
This is not a destroyer. It's not a carrier. This is just a moderate little fishing boat with a capacity, they say, to hold about 15 people at the max. And so now you've got 13 guys, 12 disciples plus Jesus, who are crammed into this boat who are heading across the sea. And maybe you've got a few other boats who are trailing behind, Mark says, uh, maybe a few other disciples who have begun to, to follow him uh, along as well, that they're going to trail him to get to the other side uh, of the lake. And so now Jesus, he's been pushing the limits all day for probably many days here. He's tired. There's a five to eight mile journey that's coming up ahead. And so Jesus gets into the boat and he does what a lot of kids do when they get into, a, when they get into the car. He calls shotgun. Okay, He says, I've got shotgun. And he goes to the back of the boat, the only place that you can go and lay down in the stern where there's a cushion. So he's a tired guy. And he goes back and, and he lays down. And what Mark does in this section, he beautifully writes so that we can see the humanity of Jesus. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think, yeah, this is the Jesus who goes and he hangs on the cross. This is the Jesus who's healing. He's doing miraculous things. And that's exactly who he is. But we also know that he was fully human. This is the one that we celebrate at Christmas who came in the form Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus, he's been working all day, all night for many nights. He goes to the back of the boat, he's tired, and he goes to sleep and he takes a nap. Now here's the thing about the Sea of Galilee. It's known for quick, violent storms that just kind of show up out of nowhere. The, the way that uh, the Sea of Galilee sits, it's about 680 feet below sea level. And there's mountainous region kind of off in the distance, and it sits kind of like in a basin. And so what happens is with all this hillside going on, mountains around it, there's cold air that comes off the mountains, and then the warm air that rises up off the sea, it is like this uh, um, beautiful concoction just waiting for a storm to, to get ripping. Um, there's a lot of different words that are used uh, for the Sea of Galilee to kind of grasp this idea that storms are common. There's a lot of nicknames of, of the sea. But storms are not out of the ordinary. This happens all the time on, on the Sea of Galilee. I, I was actually, I was watching some videos this week on YouTube just trying to get the gravity of what does a storm actually look like on the, on the Sea of Galilee? Because when I was there, like, the, the sea was just like crystal glass. Like, it was beautiful. Not, not any rocking of the boat at all. And so when I went to YouTube, I was like, okay, let, let's see some storms on here. And there was, there was one storm, like, okay, there's, there's four-foot waves. And then I clicked on a, a few others, and there was, there was one where the waves were getting up to 10 feet high. It's like, that, that's pretty amazing. Now, if you're, it's not um, deep sea kind of stuff, but if you're in a fishing boat that holds 13 to 15 guys, 10 feet is a huge, huge deal. And this is where things start to get interesting for the disciples, okay? All of a sudden, one of these storms, one of these maybe 10-foot wave storms or more begins to kick up in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. Uh, the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already feeling, uh, already filling. And, and here's why this is a big deal, okay? Uh, the majority of these disciples who are in the boat with Jesus at the time, they're fishermen. They've got a, a fisherman's background. They've been around the water their entire lives. They're used to being in boats. They're used to being in storms from time to time. But in this particular storm, there's something different going on that they've never seen before. So we've got to ask the question, what is it about this particular storm that made them panic like, like never before? They've seen storms before, but this one didn't look like anything they've experienced. These small waves begin to turn into these huge waves and this time, instead of just rolling with it like they would do if they were just kind of out casting their nets, like, oh, this is kind of a rough sea. This one, the waves get so big that they're actually afraid 
that they're going to lose their life. They, they begin to panic in this moment. They think that they're going to die. The waves are picking up, and they're starting to hit the boat, and they're starting to crash in. And you can almost imagine the conversation that, that these men are having, right? They've been hanging out with Jesus for a little while, and they're coming off the shoreline where he's been doing miraculous things. Like, guys, can you, can, you, can you believe what Jesus did today? Like, can, like, remember when he said that thing, and remember when he healed that girl, and Remember when he cast out that demon? Remember how he, he, he went after the, those, those religious leaders? Like, we've been wanting to say some things to them, but he just, like, really let them have it. Can, can, you, can, can, you, can, can you believe that we get to be a part of what he's doing here? Like, you're just trying to piece together the conversations that might have been happening in this boat as they're leaving doing ministry to go to the other side of the sea to potentially do more ministry. And then all of a sudden, those tones begin to shift. Fellas, this storm's getting a little bit out of control. <laughs> these, these waves are getting a little bit bigger than we're used to seeing. Make sure that you hold on to something. And maybe, maybe a little jovial, a little bit of, uh, uh, joking with each other, a little bit of ribbing. Like, hey, hold on to the side because we don't want to go home and talk to your mom and let her know that you fell off the side of the boat. And, and then that joking begins to give way to a, a little bit more panic. The laughter goes away. The waves get higher. And panic starts to set in. Water starts coming in from the sides, Mark says, and begins to fill up the boat. He says that there were waves that were breaking in and filling up the boat. And what do you do when water begins to fill up the boat? You hold on to the side so you don't go over, and you start scooping out any way that you can. They are, they're afraid that the boat is getting ready uh, to go down and to drown. And while this is going down, Mark says that the disciples look back to the back of the boat, and Jesus is there asleep. He's asleep on a cushion. And this is where the meat of the story shows up. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves, can you trust Jesus and his will for your life when things don't go the way that you want? Can you trust Jesus and his will for your life when there's a storm that's brewing that you would rather not have and rather not go through? Is he still trustworthy? Can faith and storms reside in the same space? Is Jesus somehow not sovereign when we walk through uh, something difficult? The disciples, they look back and they see Jesus and he's sleeping. And they start panicking. They're panicking. Jesus is sleeping. Y'all know anybody who can sleep in the middle of a hurricane? Yeah, I do too. Jesus is sleeping through something that is called a great windstorm. The great windstorm there is the same kind of language that's used of hurricanes of old, and it's the same kind of language that's used of, of hurricanes now. It's the same force uh, of the word. It's strong enough. The winds are coming through so strong and the waves are so big that it feels to them like a hurricane out in the middle of this ocean. And so they see Jesus sacked out, and they say, like many of us would, like now, and we would have said then too, don't you see what's happening? Don't you see the waves that are around me right now. Can't you feel this boat shaking? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, this thing is going crazy. Can't you sense our fear? And so they wake up Jesus, and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die right now? And that's when the truth comes out. That, that's, that's what he was waiting to hear. That's when the concern comes out, the, the real heart cry. All, all that's going on inside, and the heart begins to cry out, Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about my situation? Don't you care about what we're going through? 
The way that Mark records this in the words that he uses in, in the Greek here, there's a, there's a sharpness in his tone. There's a, there's a bitterness that these uh, disciples are having towards Jesus right now. Um, there's rudeness here. It's the kind of stuff that comes out um, when you're frustrated and you're desperate and you don't have anywhere to turn. It, it's it's the, the kind of stuff that comes out when you wear your heart on your sleeve. You don't hold anything back. They say, Jesus, don't you care about us? Because when you're in a storm and pain's raging and chaos is going and crises are, are staring you right in the face and you're with somebody who has demonstrated the capacity to deal with stuff like this in the past. Like he's dealt with other people's storms. He's dealt with other um, painful things. He's been, able, he's been able to jump in and to stop it and to alleviate it. And when you're around somebody who's shown the, and demonstrated the ability to do that and they don't do it, the question comes out, don't you care enough to do something about this? Why would you even let this happen to start off with? Why wouldn't you keep this from happening? Why wouldn't you keep me away from this? Why wouldn't you keep them away from, from that? And what happens when storms start raising up in our lives, we have the tendency to kind of lose it sometimes. We're in the middle of these rough waters, and we wear our heart on our sleeve, and we, we assume that maybe God doesn't care, or that he's somehow lost control, that he's somehow not sovereign anymore. But up to this point, these men, they've seen Jesus heal. They've seen him teach in, in powerful ways. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him confront leaders. They've experienced a closeness with him that no, nobody else has got, been able to have. Like Jesus takes them away. He talks in parables and he takes them away and he explains everything to them. Like they've experienced Jesus in a way that nobody else has. But yet they still want to know, are you able to do for me what you've done for them? Are you able to stop my pain like you stopped their pain? Can you really save us like you've helped other people? See, when we see others going through things, it's one thing, right? Like we, we pray for them and we walk alongside of them and we do everything that we can um, to, to help alleviate their pain. But when it hits home with us, it becomes so much more crucial. It's a different scenario, right? When it hits home for us, when cancer and death and poverty and crisis and chaos, when it shows up at our doorstep, now we're not talking about somebody else. We're talking about us. We're talking about me. This is, this is personal now. And for them, they're, like, it's, they're talking about us. We're talking about them. Will you show up for, for me? Will you show up for, for us? You think these guys at this point had had more than they could handle? I think they probably had. We hear that God won't give us more than, than we can handle, but the truth is that he'll give us more than we can handle so that he can walk through it with us. See, we're not made for the open ocean storms. We're, we're not made to carry the weight of that stuff uh, alone. Uh, when Jesus jumps into the boat, that changes things. When your faith is in Jesus, when he's the one carrying your faith and you're, it's in the character of who he is, you have a faith and you have a God who's built for the storm. That's who he is. I was listening to an interview with a Ukrainian pastor this week who's uh, in the middle of everything right now. And he, he, here's words that he said. Then this, this is quoted. He said, the presence of Jesus with you in the boat doesn't keep you out of the storm, but his presence helps keep the, keep the boat from being sunk. This, this is a guy who's in the middle of a storm and he's walking alongside of people who are in more, some of the most devastating things that you could ever imagine. And he was saying, Jesus won't keep us away from hard things like this, 
but we won't walk through it. He'll, he'll keep us from, from sinking. And he, just, and he talked about how, how God was on the move and how the church was raising up. There were a lot of things that were going on. But he, w- he was passionate about the idea that they were not walking through uh, this alone. Right now, as we read this text here in Mark, um, the disciples, they're, they're freaking out. And Jesus is sleeping. Right? These are two totally different responses to crisis. You can freak out or you can go to sleep. Now, we learn a couple things about Jesus here in the back of the boat. Like we already know, we've seen a little bit of his humanity. He's tired. He goes and he takes a nap. This is his humanity on full display. But we also get a picture of his deity too because um, he's able to go to sleep in the middle of chaos and, and not freak out. That says something about who he is. He's in complete control of the situation. He controls the wind. He controls the storms. He controls when things raise up and go down. One of the things that gets lost when there's trials and chaos and storms in our life is sleep, is it not? Like when, when your soul is in turmoil and things are going crazy, you lay down at night and you want to go to sleep, but you can't because your mind just keeps replaying that thing or it's going through the what ifs and the why would God and how could God and is it going to happen the way that my mind is playing out and you can't go to sleep. We lose so much sleep with worry and fear. Where's God in the middle of this? Jesus in this storm, he's in the back of the boat and it's a sign that he's got this. It's not indifference. It's not a sign that he doesn't care. It's just that he's got the storm under control. If he's in the boat, this thing's not going down. This is what he's displaying here. You ever bump into people who just don't get rattled by anything? Like you're like, how are, how are you not freaking out right now? Because like, that's not even my story and I'm freaking out for you. Like that, that, that's how, it's not because they're indifferent. It's not because they're simple. It's not because they don't understand what's going on. It's not because they don't understand the gravity of the, of the problems that are going on or the implications of, of what could happen because of it. They can go to sleep at night because they just realize, I'm not in control of this thing. Like, whether this thing works out or whether it doesn't work out, like, I'm not in control of how this works out. They believe that God's got it, and they go to sleep. Even if it, even if it doesn't work out the way that they want, they believe that God's got it, and they go to sleep. Let, let, let me say this, though. Knowing that you shouldn't freak out and not actually freaking out, those are two different things, Right? <laughs> Like, I know that I shouldn't be freaking out right now, but I am. They're, they're two totally di- different scenarios. Chuck Swindoll, he said, how quickly we forget during times of resting what we learn during times of, of teaching. They've seen that Jesus is, is capable of miraculous things. Personally, we read that Jesus is capable of miraculous things. We've seen in our own lives of miraculous things. Uh, I, there are two people that I know of right now who have battled cancer over, over the last few years who are sitting in, in this room. They've seen the miraculous hand of God at work. We've seen what God is capable of. We've read about what God is, is capable of. Yet for these guys, somehow they've forgotten. In the middle of their storm, they have forgot that God is in control, and they accuse Jesus of not caring about them. Here's what he says in verse 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Can you imagine that, guys? Can you imagine going on vacation with your family? You're like, man, the sea's a little bit rough today. Like, we were going to go out here and swim, we're gonna like, but we, we can't go out there now. You're like, wait, hold on, I got this. And you go stand on, uh, stand on the beach, like, chill out. 
be still. And like, like the water just stops. Like, wouldn't that be crazy? That would be amazing. This is what Jesus does. He, he sees the storm, he sees the wind, and he looks at it and he says, peace, be still. And it stops. It does. Like, it does, like all, of, all of a sudden, in the middle of chaos, calm. Talk about somebody who's got control over the, the wind and the seas. Somebody who can enter in and do miraculous things. He stands up and he calls it out. Um, he, we've already seen him cast out demons. The language that, that Mark uses here and that he's going to use going forward, next week we're, we're going to be talking about um, demon, a demon being uh, possessing somebody and being cast out and just a miraculous thing. This is the same kind of language that Jesus uses when he speaks to, de- to the demonic. He speaks and says, peace be still, get out. It's the same kind of tone. It's the same, it's the same model. And he is speaking to the ocean like he's going to speak to the demon next week. Peace be still, and it becomes calm. And there the disciples learn that Jesus is even, has control even over nature. Should the disciples have freaked out? No. Did they freak out? Yeah, they did. Should we freak out sometimes? No. Do we freak out sometimes? Yeah, we do. Um, they panicked and they forgot about who Jesus was. And here's what he says in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you, do you really... I mean, after everything that you've seen, do you still not have any faith? And here's the key for us this morning. Tie us back to where we started from the beginning. They were still afraid because they were still learning how to trust. It wasn't completed yet. They were still afraid because they hadn't fully learned how to trust yet. They were learning how to trust him day in and day out in the easy stuff and now in, in the hard stuff. They were baby followers. They were learning how to trust Jesus. Trust is a, it's a learned habit. It's a condition of a heart that is increasingly finding confidence in the character of somebody else. They were learning to trust the unshakable character of Jesus. They were shaken. He was not. And they were learning to trust the one who doesn't get shaken. And Jesus was showing them he is capable of their trust. His character and who he is, he's capable of holding the weight of their trust. He had the power over the waves and the storms. And that's a theme that you're going to see in Mark over and over again, that he has power over life and he has power over death. He has power over demonics. He has power over life. He has power over nature. He is completely in control and sovereign over everything. And Mark's going to just keep coming back to that and beating that drum. There was a Jewish tradition at the time that was based off of Genesis and God giving order out of nothing taking what didn't exist and creating order out of that, there was a Jewish tradition that said that the one who controls the wind and the sea, this is the one who is God. He was showing that he was God and that they could trust him. Why don't we, um, why doesn't Jesus keep us away from storms? Because he wants to be in the boat with us when we go through them so that we can learn how to trust him. Is it hard to go through things that we don't want to go through? Absolutely it's hard. But we learn to trust by walking through those things and realizing that he's with us. A disciple of Jesus, as we grow, we're learning more and more how to trust Jesus. That's what discipleship is. We're learning to trust Jesus. So many of us who are sitting in here right now, we're in different places when it comes to growth and maturity. We ask questions of, of why God and what if and how could this happen and How's this going to work out? And we play those scenarios out and just general fear and worry sets in at times. And we ask, and we get to this place like, I don't know if my faith was built for this. 
I want you to know that your faith was built for it if Christ is in the boat um, with you. I want you to know wherever you are, you're not rocking a, uh, a rowboat out in the middle of, of the open ocean. You have God in your destroyer, and he's at the helm. He's the captain of your ship, and it's not going down. He's with you if Christ is in you. When you're struggling and wondering, is this thing going down? Look back at his displayed character and trust him for who he's been and look ahead and know what he's doing and, and, and what he's already promised that's coming for us. So we can look back at his past character and look forward to his future character as well. Disciples are people who are, have already trusted Jesus for our salvation. Now we're learning to trust him in the middle of the good and in the storms. And you may feel like, and my boat's not built for, for this. It's not built for the storm that I'm in right now. You don't understand. And, and you're right. You weren't built for that. But when Jesus enters it, you have exactly everything that you need. He won't keep you away from the storms, but he promises that he's going to go through the storms with us. And to me, that means that, that we're in pretty good hands. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for opportunity to open up your word and to dive in. Um, Father, we, we walk through things and you're in the middle of it with us. That, that, that's the truth. Um, and we're learning to trust you in the middle of all this stuff um, where we struggle and where there's storms to understand that you're in control and that you would allow some of that stuff because it teaches us uh, to lean into you and to experience you in our boat so we can learn to trust. So as disciples, as men and women who are growing, Father, would you help us not to lose heart when it's not easy? Um, would you help us just to press into you and to trust you? And uh, for those who don't yet know Jesus this morning, Father, we pray um, that as they're on the journey, you would just open up their ears and allow them to hear. Um, you have truth and the mystery of the gospel is Jesus. And I pray that you would explain the mystery to their hearts of Jesus and you would open up their hearts to who you are. I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.